So Kelly and I found ourselves in Dallas in 1988. Both of us had, been, had grown up in small communities about the size of Decatur, or a little larger, and our children were born in Wichita Falls. It had been our hope that we would raise our children also in a small environment. However, life didn't do that to us, and we ended up in Dallas in 1988. By 1989, we were visiting a new church and, uh, in Farmer's Branch, and so it was at, during of, uh, one of our Sunday school classes in an introduction area that I was surprised by Kelly's response to a particular question. We were all sitting around and introducing ourselves to get to know each other a little better, and so we were to tell our name, where we were from, and then something interesting about ourselves. So Kelly says, well, we moved here from Wichita Falls about two years ago, and we really like it here. And I looked at him and I says, we do. (laughs) That was news to me at the time. So questions are those kinds of things that help us uh, uh, find out more information. They give us uh, more information. They help us understand, but they can also be used to analyze or to challenge or to stimulate conversation. I am reminded of a a particular... uh, commercial that I enjoy for the 700 Club. It's the story of kind of a little boy and his dad. They're playing in the park and this little boy's a preschooler and asks lots of questions as like three and four year olds can. And so they're running around and the little boy finds a nickel and says, Dad, how many nickels are in a dollar? And before Dad can can even get the answer out, he's off to the next thing. Dad, how how do birds fly? Uh, Does this milk, how does milk make me stronger? All these things. He doesn't have time for the answer. But all of a sudden, then the little boy stops and he looks up at his dad and he says, Daddy, when we die, will we go to heaven? It's that point in which even dad is perplexed. And the little boy stares at him for an answer. Sometimes we, are great, we encounter some of life's biggest questions. In uh, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been in the synagogues. He's been challenged with all kinds of questions. He's been asked, where do you get your authority? He's been asked, should we pay taxes to the emperor? The Sadducees have given him a question about the mystery that they've already considered and they already know the answer that they have. But they're hoping to see if Jesus has that same answer or if he is going to break with tradition. This story comes in Luke in the 20th chapter, beginning with verse 27 through 38. Listen now for what the evangelist Luke has to say to us. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children... The man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. And then the second and the third married her. And in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will this woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age 
And in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. The question that was presented to Jesus was there not to stimulate conversation or dialogue, but was there in order to invoke debate. And the leaders had hoped to discredit Jesus by trapping him in this tightly woven legal argument about this absurd scenario with a widow and seven brothers. But Jesus decides to take advantage of this scenario and to teach about the nature of heaven, not about marriage. And so he tells us about this merciful and loving God. This loving God who gives us marriage on this earth to teach us about an intimate relationship between people. And that heaven is like that. That these relationships among us are intimate and thick and rich and wonderful. He lays out a striking difference between heaven and earth and he says they're not the same. God's not the same as the way people are, and aren't we glad? The Sadducees uh, look at scripture as only the first five books, the Torah. And so they have set the debate in this context. They start with, Moses says. And so Jesus, who reads the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of not only the Torah, the law, but also the prophets, decides to play by their rules. He crafts his argument within their area, and he speaks about Moses himself. He says, Moses himself showed, and then he recounts this Exodus story that they are ever so familiar with in the burning tree. It is God who spoke through that burning tree and says, I am the God of Jacob and Abraham, and Isaac, and your father. Jesus steps onto their playing field. He plays by their rules, and he crafts this amazing argument, and then he scores the homecoming point. His interpretation does not spell out the details of of resurrection. Instead, he hints at some of the mysteries that they might find. He says, God did not say that I was the God of Abraham or Jacob, and now they're gone, and I remember them with great fondness. He does not say that they are like they have been, their names on a plaque hanging within the temple and for us to remember them by. Instead, God speaks in the present tense even to, to Moses. He says, I am the God. And then Jesus concludes his argument at, with, for to God, all of them are alive. All of them are alive. Jesus was the one who claimed that he was the resurrection and the life. And he reads Moses with this resurrection lens. He says in Christ's understanding, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob participate in this new age because, like you and me, they are children of this living God. This episode with the Sadducees gives us hope in our living and in our dying. It doesn't answer all our questions about how resurrection works. Even the children among us says, how did he do that, right? It doesn't answer all our questions, but it holds out hope for this God to whom all the saints are alive. You and I and all the saints that have gone before us. Christopher Hitchens is a journalist, a moralist, and a well-known atheist when he lived on this earth. And he was a good friend with, with a man named Larry uh, um, Taunton, who is an evangelical Christian. They got to be friends because Larry had asked Christopher Hitchens to come and be a part of a debate with other Christians. And that hit off a wonderful, beautiful relationship that the two really enjoyed. At one point, Totten was challenging Hitchens. He says, you know, he said, you make this point about the book of John, and yet I wonder, have you even read the book of John? You can't cherry-pick out scriptures and then craft your argument. And then it was only later that Christopher Hitchens decided that it was time to actually read that book of John verse for verse, and he did it with Larry by his side. It was after uh, Christopher had gotten sick, and he was, expect he was terminal, and so they decided to get together and take a trip, a trip uh, from Washington, D.C., down into South Carolina. And as they drove in the car and talked about life, they also read the Gospel of John, verse by verse, and they talked about it. They had stopped in the uh, Shenandoah Valley one evening, and it was, it was fall, and the sky was crisp, and the air was cold outside, and, and, uh, and the fire was warm. And so they're sitting around, and Christopher picks up the book of John, and he begins to read in the 11th chapter once again. And he reads the verse that says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, so shall they live. And everyone who lives and, and uh, believes in me shall never die. Christopher stopped and he said, you know, I've heard this before, but I really didn't realize that it was associated with the resurrection of Lazarus. And so Larry, thinking that they had come to this really beautiful, critical moment, simply said, that's a great verse. And then Christopher took his glasses off and he said, Larry in his thick English accent. He says, Do thou believest this? And Larry says, I do, but you know I do. The question is, Do thou believest this? Christopher Hitchens. To which he looked a little puzzled, as if he was crafting the perfect answer and with profound, unexpected transparency, he simply says, I'll admit that it's not without appeal to a dying man. <laughs> Friends, Jesus doesn't answer all our questions. 
But he does point us to this God who is faithful and immeasurable and inexhaustible. And it's in that faith that we have the courage to endure everything that life presents to us. And it's in that faith that we have the courage to do all that death, death asks of us. Still, the question remains. Believest thou this? Amen.